Welcome to the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. <clears throat> Visit us at IHateCritics.net, IHateCritics.com. We're on <clears throat> sorry, all your social media platforms. On Facebook, it's I Hate Critics. Everywhere else, it's Critics Pod. Uh, follow us on all those platforms. Like, Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Pod- Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, all your podcatchers, but please go to Apple Podcasts, rate and view the show. We'll read your five-star reviews on the air and subscribe to the show as well. It does help the podcast out. We're also on YouTube. You can listen to us there. Uh, click the little bell to be notified when a new episode drops. Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is the best way to support the podcast. And we have our T Public merch over at IHateCritics.net or if you search CriticsPod at T Public. Uh, Sean, where can people get your reviews? The uh, archive blog is at shotatthemovies.blogspot.com and of course the geeks.media, horror.media at podcast Sean on Twitter, S-E-A-N you can find everything that you need. And Jeff, where can people find you? Uh, my website is jefflaster.com that's got links to all my stuff including my Etsy shop, my Instagram where I post where I'm going to be uh, if you are in the Chicago area or want to take a little drive this weekend, I'll be at Days of the Dead in Rosemont at the Crown Plaza Hotel. Um, yeah, come and see me. A lot of people are there. and I'll be debuting some new artwork at the show. Awesome. And all the links are in our show notes. Uh, we do have some news this week. Let's start with the Elon Musk biopic. Yeah, we'll just be brief on this because uh, I, I I have a hard time believing this even exists. But uh, apparently Darren Aronofsky is in talks with A24 to make an Elon Musk biopic. And I just basically jumped on our Facebook page and suggested a title because everybody was talking about who should play him in the movie. And I'm like, I don't know who should play him. But, uh, I'll I gotta, eat a page. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he hates trans people. Play him, but uh, I got a title for him. Just call it fucking clown show. Uh, it's <laughs> the perfect title for him. Uh, because Jackass, the movie, is already taken. <laughs> Can you put asshole on a poster? <laughs> what I angle is Ar- Aronofsky coming from this with? Do great you know? question. No one knows. No one really knows exactly what what his, what his deal is. Uh, truly, uh, no idea why he would want to make a movie about, about this guy. Uh, especially when you would assume that he would have, you know... Some involvement in it uh, <laughs> I just I don't know he, he says he's going to base it on the, the book about Elon Musk's life uh, that came out uh, not all that long ago um, so it's like Walter Isaacson yeah the Walter Isaacson di- uh, book uh, he said he's going to base it on that and there's a lot there uh, but a lot there's also a lot about you know that that I don't know if necessarily that book I've never read that book I don't know if it's any good or not I don't know what it says about him. Um, there's a lot of unflattering truths about Elon Musk out there that I'm sure this movie won't be covering. I'm just guessing because he's he's involved, or he's, I don't know if he's involved, but he's still alive, so he's going to be able to, you know, influence the narrative in some way. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll do like the Bob Dylan movie where they just have a million different actors playing him. Mm. I don't know. 
I, I'm not all that interested in it, especially right now. Maybe in 80 years, but uh, once I'm dead and gone, we can do it. That's fine by me. <laughs> Biopics of people who are still alive are a dicey business. I mean, you know, you mentioned the Bob Dylan. I'm not there, and that that is a brilliant document, a brilliant movie about Bob Dylan, uh, because it doesn't uh, necessarily tell the story in a in a you know, typically biopic way. It goes at it from a very odd direction, which is kind of the best way to make a biopic. The same with Rocket Man. Rocket Man mm-hmm. was essentially you know retelling of Elton John's memory, his dream of his own life, which is again a brilliant way to tell that story. Uh, but if you're going to make a straight biopic about Elon Musk, eh, I mean, I don't know. Don't. There's already a great episode of The Dollop about him, so just listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> I need to do an episode about Dave Anthony. Uh, <laughs> what else? Anything? I don't know. What, or what about the Coyote versus Acme thing? So this. So you recall what happened with Batgirl, right, Bob? Yes. So David Zaslav and Warner's Discovery, they put that film in the vault and they took uh, attacks right off on it, and they were planning on doing that again. They've got another completely finished movie, an animated film called uh, Coyote vs. Acme, which is a Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner movie uh, that combines those two characters with live action, including uh, uh, John Cena. And uh, they were going to just put it on the shelf and, and take a tax write-off of about $30 million on it. And the internet lost its collective mind over this. <laughs> they started petitions and, and, and tweeting everywhere and stuff. Uh, Finally, this week, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery said that they would allow the movie to be shopped to another company, which is odd. I, but it just goes to show just how little David Zaslav gives a fuck. I mean, here's a here are two characters that are entwined with the history of Warner Brothers in terms of animation, and uh, he just like yeah, shop them somewhere else. I don't care. Like he just doesn't give a fuck. They they've spent seventy million dollars to make this movie. And they were going to accept a $30 million write-down uh, in a terms of a tax breakup. Uh, I don't understand the business model here. But, I, I, but it's because I don't understand Wall Street. And that's the thing, is that this is kind of... This reminds me a great deal of those guys who were, who were doing stuff back in 2008 in the housing crisis. They're betting on things and, and uh, you know, making bets and then taking money out as quickly as they possibly can you know, just before everything collapses. And this feels like this feels like a house of cards that this guy's building that he's just trying to, you know, strip mine as much money out of it as he possibly can uh, before it all collapses around him. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't, I'm not worried about it. It doesn't affect my life at all. But it sucks that he's doing this to people who are, you know, legit, you know, just earnestly trying to make movies, so whether they're good or bad. They're earnestly working with these people to make movies and for them to put in all this work and complete this film and deliver this movie and him to go nah and just toss it <laughs> toss it away toss it in the trash it, it's a lot of bullshit and uh it led to a lot of people you know a lot of people canceling meetings at warner brothers going why should we work with you why would we ever want to work with you uh if you're just gonna we're gonna finish something and and be proud of it and want it to be you know put out to people and you're just gonna put it on the shelf and take a 30 million dollar write-off on it why would i want to do that uh, it's it which is a very reasonable uh, you know feeling to have. It, it's going to be strange to see what the future of Warner Brothers Discovery is if people 
legitimately decide to just not work with them based off of this. What is he trying to kill it? I don't know. If you put it on the shelf for the tax write-off, you can never do anything with that again, right? Is it like, or do you as I understand it, it, yeah, as I understand it, that's what the you'd have to pay the. I don't know if they'd have to give the thirty million dollars back, or you know, maybe somebody could give them thirty million dollars and they could give up the movie. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Uh, it feels to me though, like I don't. Again, I'm not somebody who understands stocks and and whatnot stock market and all the various different ways that people manipulate it but i feel like that's the approach here i feel like we're, we're seeing like an enron accounting of how to run a movie studio uh and a, and a streaming company uh <laughs> just this this constant uh this constant strip mining of of cash out of this thing to uh into the hands of you know the upper the upper echelon at warner brothers leaving all of this leaving everybody else kind of scrambling until the whole thing collapses and i mean you asked the question jeff is he trying to destroy this i don't think he's trying to destroy it but i don't think he cares if it dies as long as he gets out of it with the most money well and i think based on just kind of logically from an accounting perspective sorry to bore the audience i'm thinking both of these movies you know a lot of the money was spent prior to him taking over. Right. And so by him writing them off, he's bringing in $30 million or whatever, but the previous regime spent $70 million. So there's a separation between what he, you know, and he, all he's caring about is his, you know, not legacy necessarily, but the cash flow under his, uh, his reign, you know, so I really think it's as simple as something like that. It's stupid. It makes no sense. Uh, you could easily make more than $30 million on streaming or what. I mean, Batgirl would have definitely, no matter how bad it was, would have made more than the tax write-off. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, and I know it wasn't done. I guess that was another issue is they would have had to spend more money on that one. But this, are you saying the Coyote versus Acme was done? It was done. See, that's different. <laughs> Uh, that's just but, crazy. So with Scoob, I mean the the Scoob movie, the second the sequel to Scoob, uh, whatever the hell that's called, was also it's also a completed film that they took a tax write off on. Yeah, he's because now he doesn't have to put the advertising dollars in, so mm-hmm. it, it's just simply to show you the cash flow under his. And cash flow is not the right word. Not that real accounts are listening to this, but. Uh, revenue maybe that's what it is Hmm. Uh, anyway Jeff you had something that you wanted to bring up well in more David Zaslav news uh, (laughs) he's apparently wants to make a biopic of Edith Piaf who we already have one of called Levian Rose starring Marion Cotillard however he wants to make it completely AI so that you see her face and her voice and that's the hook. Didn't we just finish up a strike about this? I mean, literally days ago. Um, yeah. My comment was, I hope he's going to create an audience via AI because nobody's going to want to watch this shit. There's, a, there's some morbid curiosity for it, I would think. 
at the very least, people would be wanting to see the train wreck. Um, I, I, I don't like it, but at the same time, I think part of the deal that they made uh, regarding AI was that if you chose to sign over your life rights, uh, that you can do that. Now, Edith Piaf obviously cannot do that, but her heirs can, and yeah. that is a that is a major uh, that is a major point out there. That uh, you know, if you're somebody who has a famous family member and you have their life rights, you could potentially uh, you know set them uh, set those life rights out there. Um, you know, the family of Michael Jackson, if they felt like they wanted some more money, send them out on tour via AI. Uh, would it work? I don't know. But, you know, there'd be enough people out there to be curious about it to maybe perhaps want to do it. Um, I was just watching, and this is, I don't know if this is a tangent or not, but I was just watching this YouTube video about this guy who just killed his YouTube career by turning everything into AI. He, he was a gamer, and he cre- and instead of doing his own channel, he decided to give up being on YouTube and just have an AI-generated version of himself playing Minecraft, and it destroyed <laughs> his entire career. Because uh, he was putting everything on this whole AI thing that people would just love it, and they didn't, obviously. <laughs> yeah, Howie, clearly. Howie Mandel sold his life rights to AI. Did he? Now I think he has ownership in the company that bought it. Uh, but yeah, he was. I was listening. I don't listen to his podcast often, but I don't remember who the guest was. But he was trying to convince them. Look, if you have to do a, a podcast read, your AI version can do it. If you need to do this YouTube ad, your AI guy your version can do it, and you can go out be off doing the important fun stuff. And I don't know. It was an interesting. I guess from the way he's handling it, is a little more interesting than. Uh, people using it for art. I mean, if you know, if, if an AI version of Howie was on America's Got Talent, would anybody notice? <laughs> <laughs> Need unless they start, unless they they redo Deal or No Deal, except they mispronounces it every time. Dale or No Dale. <laughs> they just can't figure out how to make it work. There's gonna. I mean, if anything, this Edith Piaf thing will would be would be fascinating uh, to to just see the watch them test it, <laughs> and when the t- first test footage comes out, because you know it will, it'll leak, yeah. and we'll all be just either be horrified or. <laughs> yeah, it's. She's gonna have like six fingers on each hand, and. Yeah, it seems like a. a... The rush to be the first or whatever, and maybe not the first, but the it seems stupid. You know, at some point we're gonna have to deal with some version of this, but I, I would make sure you're gonna do it right before you. Do the it. experiments that we've seen so far have been have been bizarre. Like there is a wrestling channel that created an entire episode of Monday Night Raw that is just AI, and it is a horror show. <laughs> <It was> just- <laughs> All the visuals and all the all the uh, the words just none of it made any sense. It was terrifying. Uh, but then, did you hear about the the Seinfeld AI that was somebody was running a Seinfeld AI on Twitch, and the whole thing turned really, really racist. <laughs> that's well, awesome. that's just Michael Richards. <laughs> <laughs> they just fed a bunch of Seinfeld script into AI and had the AI write brand new Seinfeld scripts and they all just became progressively more racist. 
I know they did. Someone did a South Park one that just to see how it would work, and that one wasn't horrible. But again, it's coming. It's just a matter of having control over it and not letting <sighs> this guy from Warner Brothers <laughs> be the one. <laughs> there's a there's that question. It's a it's a question that scientists often ask. It's like it's not that you should. It's not whether you could do it, it's should you do it. And, and oftentimes people forget that, yeah, well, yeah, you can do it, but you shouldn't do it. It's true. The good thing is, though, there still will always be... You'll never be able to erase a human element <clears throat> completely out of arts. Uh, you know, it, it could replace the IP movies. You know, the Marvel Universe could become all AI. I could see that, but you'll still need your A24 like movies to keep people sane. I don't know. At least that's what I hold on to. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Marvel movies, we had one this week and you guys liked it. <laughs> yes, uh, the Marvels with uh, Brie Larson, Tiana Paris, and Amon Vellani uh, as the Marvels, a uh, new superhero team in the Marvel Universe. Uh, Captain Marvel, of course, Brie Larson, uh, is somewhere in space just trying to recover her memories. Meanwhile, on Earth, you have uh, 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 Monica Rambeau, who is, uh, uh, you know, grown up now and has developed superpowers of her own from what happened uh, to her via the TV series WandaVision, and then, of course, you've got uh, Ms. Marvel, Amon Bellani, whose TV series uh, gave her origin story, and uh, via some shenanigans with a villain, uh, they they end up having their powers entwined, because they have similar powers. And at each time they use their powers, they end up going to where the other one was. So one uses their powers, and they end up taking the other's place somewhere. And this is used to great effect early on because this, this movie moves at a very fast pace, establishing that story and uh, moving these characters around the board in, in very funny ways. And it establishes a sense of silliness and comedy and adventure early on. And then it builds in the second act, uh, not to a, any kind of drama necessarily, but enough of an underpinning of, of realistic you know, human relationships so that it, that it feels organic and it feels fun and the, the dynamic is fun um and then the third act just again is brilliantly absurd and funny and weird and adventurous and i i just had a great time i smiled all the way through this movie and especially i smiled because of iman Vellani, who is just such a great actress she is just having a ball doing this and her spirit is infectious. You can see that both uh, Brie Larson and Tiana Paris are, are just delighted to be working with her. And, and she just, she just elevates every scene that she's in. Uh, this could have been a character that got really annoying, really fast, but I didn't find her annoying at all. I found her just to be very compelling and very sweet and very funny. And then proving herself to be very capable in the, especially in the final act. Uh, I thought that was terrific what they did with her. But the whole thing is really terrific. This is such a great idea. It's so much fun. And if you skip this movie because you're saying, oh, you girls are fucking moron. It's <laughs> not why I skipped it, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeff, you liked it too, right? Uh, everything Sean said, I just, I had such a good time in this movie. Um, I rewatched Captain Marvel 
you know, to prepare for it, whatever. I did not watch the whole series of Ms. Marvel again or WandaVision. However, I watched uh, Captain Marvel and I was just like, I, I never really noticed it as much, but the rapport between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. it's just like, it's like they've been working together for 30 years. You know, it just, mm-hmm. it's, and I was like, I didn't realize that he was in the movie as much as he was in the new one. Um, and I was so happy to see that because their chemistry is just off the charts. And her chemistry with everybody in this movie, she's just such a good actress. She's, she, I've, I've read some reviews where like, oh, it just didn't seem like she wanted to be there. Well, yeah, because she's, she doesn't know who she is, you know, and she's trying to figure that out throughout the entire movie. And they help her do that. Um, you know, I was just blown away again with um, uh, Imani Milan. She just like the whole family dynamic that she has <laughs> carries over so well from the show. Um, I just watching her fangirl every <laughs> time Carol Danvers does something. I laughed. I was there, you know, there were some really touching moments towards the end. Um, her relationship with her mom, especially, mm-hmm. was what I really enjoyed about the series and how her mom was ver- very protective. And I lived in Jersey City, and that's very true to life. Um, she, you know, she just, the way she's like, Kamala, Kamala, all the time. I've got friends whose moms are exactly like that. And that, I don't understand people who say they didn't like it because it was too this or too that. I thought it struck a really good note all, all throughout. The villain was believable. Uh, my The singing planet. <laughs> that was what he sings. That, like straight out of a 1970s comic book. Like that is absolutely, yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. The whole, the whole, this phase of Marvel phase five, it, they're just like swinging for the fences and finding stuff from, you know, the seventies comics that just works. And, you know, guardians of the galaxy, that was, that worked just, this was the most fun though, that I've had since Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. which was just fun. And that, you know, that was a Taika Waititi movie. So it's going to be that way. But, uh, you know, I just, the whole movie, I had a smile on my face. Um, I genuinely thought there were touching moments, um. Yeah, I don't understand the hate. I have read some reviews on IMDb, and it's people who never saw it. They will never see it. They're just, you know, they're review bombing because they don't like Brie Larson because of an out of text, out of context quote. So, what quote was go that? See it. Uh, where she said that she wanted more voices at the table, and it wasn't about taking anything away from people. It was about um, adding more seats to the table. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, I don't need a, a middle-aged white man to tell me that about my movie or something. Something works to those effects. But it was about she wants her voices like her to tell her stories. And, of course, that was ta- this is during Captain Marvel. That was taken out of context to say that Brie, Brie Larson hates white men. <laughs> so, I mean, I literally watched it happen in real time. I saw that I saw the interview, and I was like, "Oh, the incels are going to take this one." And, and they, I hadn't even finished that sentence before they were like, 
you know, the, the YouTube reaction videos, okay. Brie Larson hates white men, you know, so I get that they're still pissed about that. Um, but uh, you didn't see the movie. Don't review it. That's it's just so stupid. Well, that's disingenuous for sure. But th- this yeah. movie is just it doesn't reinvent the wheel. It, this is not one of the top 10 movies of the year or anything like that. But it's a lot of fun. It is it just is. incredibly fun. Uh, if you go to this movie, I don't understand how you don't enjoy yourself. You you must be in a bad mood or something because this is just a movie that is just it's filled with joy and adventure. The Nia DaCosta directs this thing so incredibly well in terms of just making a very fun movie. The way that she uses edits early on to do the switching of powers from one to the next to the next, switching them from place to place is comic gold the way she does it. It's so well put together. The, and, and the timing of it is just brilliant. Just the, this little, And that little touch that Brie Larson gives of just irritation, like con, ir, confusion mixed with being irritated. She's about to do something big and important, and she's suddenly in Kamala's bedroom, or she's now she's yeah. in... She's on Samuel L. Jackson's uh, spaceship, and she's back where she was, and not missing a beat. It's so great. It's such a terrific piece of filmmaking that really, it really it is underestimated just how good uh, just that sequence alone is. But the whole movie is terrific. Do you need to see the series to follow? I it? didn't. I didn't. You see didn't. It. You don't have to, but it it helps a little bit. Um, they do a good job of explaining, you know, kind of via visual cues that she's a huge fangirl of Captain Marvel. Um, and then she does, she drops the line later. That's why I chose the name. Um, but you, I would see it. It was fun. It was, you know, if you're, if you're not rushing out to see this on day one, like I was, and you've got a little time, it's a, it's like six episodes. It explains her powers and how she gets them, but not necessarily. The other thing that, of course, that, that was like some people were whining about on social media was like, well, no one's going to understand Captain Marvel's relationship to, to Monica Rambeau now that she's a, a grown adult. Nobody will remember that she was the kid from Captain Marvel, and it's like, uh, guys, that's the heart of the, the film. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it out. Very easy to understand. It's very... this. If you've ever just witnessed any sort of media, you'll get the relationship. It'll make sense. <laughs> <laughs> we at Rotten Tomatoes. It, the critics, it's still fresh, but it's just kind of middle of the road fresh. The audience actually has a very high score for it, which is good. I mean, this I saw, a I fun movie. A fun movie is what critics don't like normally, so I'm glad Sean's <laughs> being fair. <laughs> <laughs> I hated this because women. That's, you know. <laughs> if you hate no, hang on. No, if you hated this because you're tired of superheroes, I understand. That makes sense to me. If you're somebody who says, I just don't, I just don't want to sit through another superhero movie. I get that. I get that. This is but not at that typical. point. Don't go to it. Don't go to yeah, it. Don't exactly. review it. That's what I did. <laughs> but but uh, it's your job to go there and, and right. do that get paid to do it i understand that that superhero fatigue is a real thing i just didn't feel it myself because i i I really love the character of captain marvel uh and i love brie larson and (laughs) what you were saying jeff about samuel l jackson and her is so incredible because 
play. She seems to make him so comfortable. He seems yeah. so much com- more comfortable doing this role with her than he. I mean, he's a comfortable actor in general, but like he just seems like so at ease beyond anything. It's remarkable to watch. Yeah, she just I, their chemistry. I just if he was fifty years younger, <laughs> you know, or even forty years younger, <laughs> I would watch them in a romantic comedy. They just have that. I just there's just that. You know, that easy back and forth. Mm-hmm. And she plays Carol Danvers um, a, a couple different ways, depending on the situation. She's all business. But once she gets into like a comfortable zone with somebody like Nick Fury, she jokes and wisecracks. And you see that towards the end of this movie. She's more comfortable with, you know, uh, uh, Monica and uh, the god ms marvel yeah yeah. uh kamala you're seeing you see like the comfort comes over you know once she goes to the planet the singing planet (laughs) she's kind of like she sees them as equals i think Mm. if not equals but you know close because she's the most powerful being in the universe uh the most powerful avenger Mm mm-hmm um, I I think that she, her chemistry with them grows throughout the movie. It's almost like they shot it uh, sequentially. Mm-hmm. I don't think they did, but it, it's just she's just that good of an actress where you see her gaining the comfort just she had with Nick Fury over time. Uh, can we talk about a spoiler? <laughs> sure. well, Bob hasn't seen the movie. Bob's never going to see it. It's okay. <laughs> well, just the um, the the scene where that mimics Iron Man, where Kamala goes to see Kate Bishop, mm-hmm. who is um, from Hawkeye, mm-hmm. and she almost word for word says what you know, I'm building a team, <laughs> and. She does it like you know, like he did it all. He did it all cool and collected, and you know, like I'm the baddest motherfucker. And she's just like, I'm the bat. Okay, I'm not the baddest motherfucker. Okay, I'm not even a motherfucker, but I want you on my team. You know that 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 kind of awkwardness, but she's trying to be really cool. Is just perfection. Yeah, she is. She's she's wonderful. She is a wonderful actor. So I can't wait to see Young Avengers now, and that's years away. Just funny, they'll make it when they're no longer young. Right. <laughs> what right? Yeah. Be 40. Let's do young Avengers. Okay. And Bob, I, I I don't know. I eventually you should see this, and I'm not gonna spoil the after credits or the mid credits scene, but I was like, holy shit. So I don't even remember the mid credits scene. <laughs> Uh, Frazier. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, no. Big <laughs> bell, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sean wasn't as impressed with the mid-credit scene. <laughs> oh, my theater was like everybody was. That was what I loved about it. everybody was engaged. They were laughing. You know, they were like, yeah, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when that mid-credit scene, because there is no after-credit scene, which is rare, mm-hmm. um, but that mid credit scene, like there was this collective gasp in the theater. 
everybody went, <gasps> oh, and then you like felt the breath of everybody just kind of being let out. It was great. I mean, it more than anything, if I go to a comic book movie, it's because one of my kids wants to, and neither one of them wanted to go to this one. Uh, and for no reason, no I wasn't a fan of Captain Marvel. I, I mean, I didn't dislike it, but I thought at best it was average. Uh, and so, it, plus, in my mind, it's like, where else you go? And I love this Thanos story has been told. It's like, you've already brought everything to the brink of non-existence. Which, you know, at this point, we've done the multiverse to death. So, <laughs> I don't really care where else it could go. So, it's just hard for me to get invested. Trust uh, me, Jeff. He's not going to care about the Midgrets. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Brie Larson. I, you know, I loved the United States of Terror when she was just a kid, uh, and everything she's done since then. Uh, nothing against her whatsoever. That's <laughs> not any of her comments. I didn't even know about her comments, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. <laughs> and I still don't care. I just, I thought, I, I didn't love Captain Marvel. I there's moments in the Avenger movies that I liked the interactions and stuff but i just i guess i was thought it was going to be something to save the marvel universe and to me it just was what and, and it's again my my lack of interest in the whole subject matter to begin with uh it, it didn't do it for me and none of my kids want to watch it so i figured rather than go see it dislike it and argue <laughs> it'd be better to just <laughs> let you guys enjoy it and keep the positivity towards it because i also don't want to come off as one of those incels or whatever that you know <laughs> that's something i definitely do not want uh to be misconstrued uh but yeah i don't know i just, it's kind of like the five nights at freddy it's like i'd rather that exists than uh the 170th new marvel movie <laughs> but that's just me mm. <clears throat> What else? Well, that's the end of the show. Uh... <laughs> I saw everything else, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we moving on from the Marvels? Or? I, yeah, I think, we're, I think yeah. we wrap up. All right. Um, let's go to Netflix and watch The Killer. The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender and directed by David Fincher, uh, tells the story of a hitman who has a hit go wrong, and he ends up having killers tracing him, and he just starts tracing the killers, and is this a comedy? I, I keep asking myself, was this funny? Because it's kind of funny, but I don't know if it's... Is Fincher funny? <laughs> I don't know. It, this certainly seems like his... If he had a sense of humor, this would be it. I think it would be... I, this movie is fascinating, because I don't quite know exactly uh, what he's going for, but I'm, I appreciate... I think what he's trying. <laughs> this is we're talking about a, a hitman who who relaxes listening to the Smiths, and that in itself is, is a is a a comic touch that, <laughs> that uh, is truly something to watch uh, and and to watch a director uh, try to pull off. Uh, and he's doing something so interesting throughout the entire movie. This whole the, the Smiths thing, where he's just. He's playing the song How Soon Is Now, and Fassbender's delivering this uh, monologue, and he delivers his monologue throughout, the, throughout most of the movie that's, uh, that 
no one but him can hear. It's just it's just him talking to us, I guess. And he's delivering this long monologue about you know talking about how he doesn't uh, work for God or country or any flag. And then the song comes up and says, uh, he says, "I serve no God or country. I fly no flag." And then the volume rises on how soon is now and more as he sings. I go about things the wrong way, and it's like is. So that's the song. Is this movie talking to him? Right now? <laughs> Which is, he does it again moments later in the same scene, and it's fascinating. Um, <laughs> well, as somebody who is a huge Smiths fan most of his life, don't ever take advice from Morrissey. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's even more meta than that. I think it's yeah. more about. You know, Fincher is one of these perfectionist directors that when he makes a movie, it takes a lot out of him and he exhausts himself with preparation and, you know, multiple takes and blah, blah, blah. But here he is doing a movie for Netflix and you almost feel like he knows he's doing it for Netflix. So he's kind of a little lackadaisical. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's style, but it's not quite the Fincher style. You know, it's, most other directors would kill to have a movie look like this, but still, it doesn't look like a your typical Fincher movie. Uh, and, you know, the killer, I just feel like he's, it's almost like his, the way he approaches directing where, you know, he's so perfect. And then even at the end when he uh, shows sympathy or whatever, it's just more of a settling on his rules. Just like, yeah, whatever, I'll do it for Netflix. I mean, I know he's done TV and stuff for them too. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like he's almost uh, making it as personal as he possibly can with the use of a hitman. <laughs> I I I don't know if I like the movie or not. I I kind of I admire a lot of it. Uh, I I do feel like he, he's acting just within genre in a kind of way that you're talking about, where he's just like, uh, I mean, I'll just knock out this genre thing yep. for next. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I thanks. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I I, I kind of go to Fincher to uh, to see something, not necessarily. But uh, you know, if he's maybe this is him exercising. This is him like right. uh, this is him going to the gym. This is what Fincher does to go to the gym. He just sort of sort of works out by making the killer. <laughs> like, let me try out my genre skills and see if I can make a movie that. Uh, uh, few dozen people have made before but make it kind of my way a little bit uh and then throw in some humor about that like i'm almost deconstructing the idea of one of these uh super hitman movies where the hitman is this completely untouchable but he doesn't want to make a parody necessarily but he likes deconstruction and so maybe he's deconstructing the idea of of hitman characters and movies and i i can sense some of that but i also feel like it's it's kind of lacking in so many ways and especially i guess unfortunately i have to say it again it's michael fassbender that kind of is kind of lacking for me he just nothing that fassbender ever does gets me ever i i don't understand quite why but i just never connect with michael fassbender yeah i yep. mean do you, you, see like you're in, you all right what are you, are you all right I'm good. I'm just. I didn't see it, so I'm just listening okay. to you talk about it. <laughs> I don't have Netflix, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't dislike it, but I don't, I don't think I don't see myself ever going back to this, uh, like I do Zodiac or Gone Girl or Fight Club or Seven or countless other Fincher movies. Uh, 
I, I don't know. It, it. I feel like if you watch it as a non-movie fan, it's probably a little on the boring side. Uh, but when you watch it as a, I mean, kind of like what Sean's saying, you're constantly trying to figure out like what's going through Fincher's head, really. Even <laughs> though it's through the the killer, you're just like, well, okay, what is he? What is he trying to accomplish here? And then just seeing enough interviews with him, it's and the fact that you know he did a whole air, like two hour episode with Mark Marin, and then he asked Marin to never air it, uh, just. Because it wasn't that pisses me off. By the way, where he wanted it to be, he wanted it to be. I, I don't know. It just seems so. <laughs> Netflix seems so not David Fincher. Yet here he is doing his that television show or whatever that documentary thing. I don't know what it was. I never watched it. But and then this in. It's I don't know. It's just fascinating. I think it's more of the right word, and not because of the movie. Just trying to get inside his head and figure it out and. Yeah, it's it's just I, I guess neat, but not neat enough to ever go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm feeling that. Go ahead, Jeff. Knowing where David Fincher comes from, the world of music videos, and the Smiths apparently playing a big part of it as far as him listening to the music, it almost sounds like it's a long for music video for how soon is now. Because um, the way you've described it is kind of, yeah, that sounds a lot like something that Morrissey would. If Morrissey made a movie, that's. It's funny, I, 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 I was telling my sister, I, I asked her, I didn't tell her what I was watching, but I, I asked her, like, what would you think of a movie where uh, a hitman relaxes by listening to the Smiths? And she goes, that's a little on the nose. <laughs> she, that's a bit too spirited and haunted of an idea. <laughs> that's the best response I could have gotten. But I told her his pictures was like, oh, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow I kind of just figured it wouldn't be just because it was on Netflix. I, you know, the Irishman, the Scorsese was, you know, he made a Scorsese movie just really long. This is, I don't know, I guess it's a Fincher movie, but it's, it's almost more like, I guess we'll call it a Christopher Nolan movie, like Fincher Light. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think Fincher's probably my favorite director, and I don't know. It, it's the thing, like I David think, Fincher was slightly more, I don't know, um, pretentious. He'd be Christopher Nolan, or less talented. <laughs> yes, less talented and more. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I love Fincher, and uh, I. I'm not. I just don't know what this one was necessarily. Uh, I I admire aspects of it. Um, I think you know when I think of when I think of Fincher doing humor, I think of Gone Girl because that movie is incredibly witty, incredibly witty, uh, even even within the within the realm of the genre with with that within that which within that is. It's just uh, it's a very witty film and has a lot of dark comic elements to it. Uh, and that to me is Fincher at his, you know, that's Fincher's wit. That's what yeah. Fincher thinks is funny. Uh, I don't necessarily think that connects as well here in terms of, like, I, I, I don't know where I hit upon the idea that this is a comedy. I, I read somebody else say that they, uh, they thought it was, they thought it was funny. And I'm like, was it meant to be funny? And then I started thinking more about it. I watched it twice to try and kind of 
get wrap my head around it and I kind of got what the guy was saying about it being a comedy because there are elements that are comedic like the the poster uh it the, the poster for the movie is like he's a hitman you know the killer and it's all about a, execution is everything is the tagline <laughs> I mean that's the whole thing though is like he's a hitman so he has a, he has a set of rules and mm-hmm that he has to follow and everything is perfection. But at the same time, the character is not taking himself seriously, uh, which, you know, and it's hard to make, you know, like with Gone Girl, at least he had a cast and a whole vibe. And with this, it's just a guy talking to himself in his head. Like there's really very little interaction unless it's murder or a fight scene. Uh, so it really is, it all comes back down on Fassbender, but it's the fact that he's so precise and perfection, and then at the same time doesn't take it seriously. That doesn't. It's like a complete oxymoron. The whole thing mm-hmm. uh, that I don't know. It, it it's not funny, but it's not not funny. I don't know. It's, <laughs> uh, I don't it's know. A, it's a heavy. It's a meta joke. Uh, yeah. It's 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 a it's a strange. It's his form of. Uh, of telling a joke uh, where it doesn't, where you'd only know it's a joke if you watch David Fincher movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I think maybe, uh, maybe he'll listen to this and be like, you guys just, nailed it. It could be just a genre movie. I don't know, but there are elements of it that feel like the Smith thing feels like a joke. It feels like that's, that's intended to be funny. Uh, there's a fight scene that you don't actually get to see because it's so fucking dark. Uh, and that feels like a you know that feels like a joke of sorts. Uh, but just, uh, well, but to, we'll stop there though because I mean, how many times have you complained about you know a Transformers movie or another action movie where it's too dark? Yeah, you know I, I feel like that's what he's doing, you know, <laughs> uh, on purpose. And <laughs> I don't know. It, it, again, to me, the word fascinating is what comes back. Again, not the movie. The movie itself is something i you know i think this conversation is where it ends with me <laughs> but uh it's kind of a fun conversation <laughs> if that makes so, sense pop quiz hmm. you're stuck on a desert island are you taking and you can only take one movie with killer in it are you taking the killer or totally killer <laughs> I don't remember Ow. totally killer. <laughs> um, th- that was the one that was across between Happy Death Day and Back oh, to the Future. That's right. Now I remember it. Um, probably going to take totally killer because I don't have Sean to talk about this movie with. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a- about watching the movie. It's the, it's the experience of uh, dissecting it. And once It's kind of like you know, I would never take enemy on a desert island because I've we've cracked it, we've figured it out. <laughs> you know, there's no need to <laughs> yeah. sit and watch it over and over again. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just let's just watch Midsummer Hereditary. Uh, so yeah, totally killer. Anything Good else answer. on the killer? No, no, that's all I got. I'll eventually watch it. Sorry, I just I no, it's I have to cut down on my streaming. <laughs> services it's getting to be like cable you might not need to watch it unless you're that big of a fan which 
Uh, if you well, are, we, we can read this conversation after you see it again. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's dedicate the rest of the show to Albert Brooks and the Defending My Life. Yeah, the documentary Defending My Life, uh, directed by Rob Reiner, about his uh, good friend, uh, Albert Brooks, uh, who, if you didn't know, those two went to high school together, which is, uh, uh, I think I knew that, but I'm not sure if I knew that or not. Uh, it, it goes through his life sort of chronologically telling the story, but also just kind of with this incredible archive footage of him doing these various different TV shows in the 1970s, where he's doing the kind of comedy that that feels like it's right now. It feels like the kind of comedy that would uh, that wouldn't that comedy essentially creates the comedy that we see in the 90s and even today because it's so ahead of its time. It's so unique and meta and weird and very, very entertaining. Uh, Brooks, to me, he might be the keystone to to comedy of the past you know 50 years if you think about it when you look back on what he did with saturday night live which when he did uh you know the short films for that or what he makes real life or you and then of course just everything that happens after that feels like it's bouncing off of what he did that sort of meta ironic <laughs> commenting upon itself form of comedy uh, certainly, it's it's what Generation X was without ever knowing that's that what we were that was what we were. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant, and this documentary just puts him in such a, a unique perspective for me because I, I oftentimes I've heard like uh, Judd Apatow talk about Gary Shandling as being like the keystone of comedy uh, for him, and and maybe for him that's true, but for me it's it's Brooks. I, I see Brooks as kind of the the way to understand comedy of the past you know 50 years uh and this this documentary nailed that for me oh yeah he's like the he's like the comedian's comic you know you never like the general audience doesn't put albert, albert brooks at the top but so many comedians do uh mm. is kind of like brian de palma and you know we'll all say scorsese but all those guys coppola and Scorsese and George Lucas and Spielberg always point to De Palma as he was the best, uh, <laughs> even though that makes no sense based on his movies. <laughs> uh, but you always hear like all the hardcore, like the comics always point towards Albert Brooks, and I think this documentary did a good job of saying why uh, without actually ever bringing that question up. Uh, one thing while watching the classic that along with this documentary that i kind of you know you know how we do the nicholas cage kevin spacey thing <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah. it's funny because kevin spacey is a creep and nicholas cage is weird and it kind of would work but i kind of think if you put albert brooks in some of these bill murray movies it might actually be a better movie less popular hmm. but better like groundhog day with albert brooks would be so much better than with Bill Murray. Way less popular. Uh, I could see that. And I, I don't know. I just, because they have a similar type of way they do it, but the way Albert Brooks does it, it's more artistic than what Bill Murray does. Bill Murray just kind of, I don't know. I don't know. It's just something that popped in my head that I was, I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, I, I can see it. I can see it. Albert Brooks is kind of like the best kept secret in comedy for the general public. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like 
oh, I know who he is once you explain it to people. But he's not always top of mind to like general people. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, he's such a good actor on top of just being a great comedian. Uh, They go into all those dark roles too, like Drive and... Oh, fucking Drive is so good. Yeah, and uh, Most Violent Year and he's... I don't know. I can't really think of a... Because I've seen a lot of these movies where he's been bad. He's just always been solid and a key part of whatever movie he's in. Absolutely. Uh, this is a musty documentary. I mean, honestly, this is if you love comedy and you love and you want to understand comedy, this is the documentary to watch. And, and that's the thing. I don't think that's Rob, what Rob Reiner is necessarily going for. He's not trying to venerate uh, Brooks. Is you know, he's they're contemporaries, they're friends. He's having a conversation with him that is punctuated by you know the evidence that proves that Albert Brooks is one of the greatest comic minds of all time. It just, that just happens with the documentary. It's not Reiner trying to put him over in any right. way. And I, I, I love that aspect of it. That's what's so appealing about it is that, and, and certainly Brooks, I think would probably reject any idea that he was the, that he was as great as, as we're making him out to be. Right. Well, and he wouldn't want a six hour documentary like appetited for Shandling either. Yeah. Um, Shandling probably didn't want that. Uh, <laughs> It, it, but that is overkill. <laughs> After a while, you just stop watching it. <laughs> yeah. This is the perfect length. Uh, movies I hadn't seen uh, with him in it, you know, made me want to go see him. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it really is. It's a an easy to watch. I mean, it's kind of like a podcast in a way because it's just the two of them talking. And mm-hmm. then, like, the most famous comedians in the world pop up. And talk about how much they love Albert Brooks, which is pretty amazing. Anything else on defending my life? All right, then. Do you want to do real life solo since Jeff and I were were not able to watch it? And participate in the show properly. That's fine. I forgot Uh, to pay my internet bill, and then we had a holiday. So I didn't have internet till Monday morning. <laughs> so, it, do you guys know the kind of the origins of reality television? I mean, like the like where like essentially like 1972, there was a PBS show called American Family, and uh, it was about this family called the Loud the Family, yeah. and it uh, followed you know their their life, and it became sort of the first reality show uh, it was not intended that way it was a social experiment and it was on pbs so people were, were intended to take it very seriously but it, it was essentially the template for what we see going forward and then in 1979 albert brooks made real life which is a a response to american uh family which is uh, uh it's him making a movie that he calls a reality movie and he is director and hollywood superstar albert brooks making this movie and and doing this social experiment uh with this uh national family council that is going to be monitoring the family to make sure that they're being the most real at all times uh he hires a family called the jaeger family uh headed up by charles groden as the dad and uh <laughs> uh and immediately the it just immediately goes wrong because the 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 whole thing is about how 
putting a camera on someone is always going to change reality. Cameras cannot capture reality. If somebody knows they're on camera, they're not going to be who they are when they're alone. Uh, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Uh, and, and Brooks is just bashing his skull against the idea <laughs> that the camera can capture reality. Uh, and he's just frustrated and annoyed with the family because at first the, the the dad is just trying to put forth this most performative idea of what a great American family is. The mom just fucks off immediately. She's like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go. <laughs> the The kid, the daughter uh, is, is ready to perform at a moment's notice. She wants to sing. She wants to be an actress. She's going nuts. The boy just disappears. He fucks off like he's, you know, Richie Cunningham's brother on Happy Days. He just goes upstairs one day and doesn't come back. Uh, it's very, all of it is just incredibly funny. Brooks takes us behind the scenes of kind of starting the documentary, and he shows us that the whole thing is going to be shot in these brand new high tech cameras that are just these giant space helmets that have cameras in them. And guys are walking around with these giant camera helmets on for the entire movie. And you find out only at the end that one of the guys was Harry Shearer, which is fantastic. It's <laughs> a meta, but the whole thing just kind of goes off the rails completely from the beginning. Uh, the <laughs> uh, by the end, it it grows to a like Coen Brothers level of of like there's no other possible way for this movie to end. Like we're not finding an ending here. <laughs> there's only one way it can go, and it goes to there, and it's great. It's fucking phenomenal. I love this movie. Yeah, I need to see it. It sounded, it sounded really fun. I just obviously only had so many time, so much time to watch movies with no internet. Uh, you know, one of the things in the documentary that they brought up was that he wouldn't practice things. He would just have the idea and go do it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. even if it was on live TV, uh, which is what this movie sounds like. <laughs> something that and but he's so talented that he always he wasn't afraid of falling on his face but he he never really did mm-hmm. and that's that's what this movie sounds like uh and i'm definitely gonna make sure i take it take, take some time to see it it's a wonderful distillation of of brooks's humor <laughs> deconstructing himself deconstructing the form uh it's fucking brilliant and then there is Defending Your Life. Defending My Life is the movie. That's <laughs> the doc- no, no, it's Your Life's no. the movie. I get them backwards sometimes. <laughs> uh, Defending Your Life, 1991, starring Albert Brooks, directed by Albert Brooks, written by Albert Brooks, and co-starring Meryl Streep. Uh, this is how I wish the afterlife was. You go to this place <laughs> called uh, Judgment City, uh, and you have to defend your life. Uh, you're essentially prosecuted, although, they, again, they, they're very much wanting to not call this a trial, but it is a trial. <laughs> Uh, Rip Torn is his lawyer and is just phenomenal. He he is Oscar worthy level brilliant in this movie. Uh, Lee Grant is the prosecutor. Uh, they're going to show nine days out of his life, and there's this great running gag about how anytime he's making small talk with somebody in Judgment City, they ask him how many days he got, and he says nine, and everybody goes, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great running gag." Uh, that happens throughout. Uh, so fucking brilliant then the whole thing kind of turns into a romantic comedy of sorts but it's an albert brooks romantic comedy so it's a little bit different uh he meets a woman played by meryl streep who uh uh is just having the best time she just seems like she's just 
having the best time. Now, I think with Meryl Streep's character in this movie, you could call her uh, a manic pixie dream girl because she is kind of a, a fantastical character. Like, she does have those qualities that just feel like she's been created in a lab specifically for this guy, which I get. But it's st- at the same time, I love this performance anyway because she is having so much fun doing this. I bought the idea that she would fall in love with Albert Brooks. I felt what they were feeling. The chemistry seems kind of electric and... The, you know that build from from the sort of absurdist aspects into this you know relatively straightforward romantic comedy uh, and then to that lovely ending that is so graceful and so lovely I just every time I watch this movie I fall in love with it again Jeff I first saw this movie 20 some years ago on a first date and it just seemed like the guy was getting a little too real, you know, like by showing me this and telling me this is my favorite movie of all time. And I'm like, can we watch happy Gilmore and make out? Um, I've never seen, I've never, I've never gotten through happy Gilmore on a date because it sucks so bad. We just end up having sex. Uh, I don't know how it ends. Uh, anyway, I was just like, I was watching it and I was really into it, but then I was like, wait a minute, this is too like, heavy kind of for a first date. So I didn't see it again until I watched it last week. And Oh my God, it's so great. I, if the guy was attractive, I wish we had like got married and had a bunch of kids because <laughs> he obviously has good taste in movies. Um, however, I wish I'd seen it sooner than last week <laughs> so that I could have watched it a hundred times before right. we talked about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it just their, their chemistry. I, that seems to be my running theme right now is the chemistry between the actors is like the paramount thing. And they just, I mean, Meryl Streep has chemistry with literally everybody who's ever existed. Um, you know, I, I, the, her easiness with him, but she kind of has some, you know, her, her, her like easygoingness with him, but she has a few boundaries that you can see kind of pop up when he gets a little over eager. Mm-hmm. And I, that just, that's so real to me. That's like, yes, I will go out with you, but you know, calm your tits, Albert Brooks. Um, that was one of the things that I just, I loved their chemistry and her, her realness. Yeah, I mean, I never even for a second kind of thought, you know, the what Sean said about the, you know, the perfect character or the, what do you call it, the pixie dream girl or whatever. That never even crossed my mind because of how good their chemistry was. Uh, you know, when Sean says that, I get it, you know, but in the moment watching it, it never really popped in my head that way. Uh, I, this really is so so good i mean it means it makes it so you can't watch a show like the good place or anything because it's this is such a better version of anything that uh could exist you know in an afterlife movie i mean he's on trial and the prosecutor is saying you should have punched the kid you know what why didn't (laughs) you know everything that's anti-heaven is uh they're saying why didn't you do this why didn't you go to sleep with her why didn't you you know and it's 
I don't know. It's a, a deep movie, but a simple movie at the same time. And, you know, it's the, it works because of him. I mean, it works because of everybody, but, you know, back to the Bill Murray thing, if you make him the star of this movie, everything that's great about this movie goes to the background. Rip Torn yes. is no longer, you know, it's all about Bill Murray's reaction to Rip Torn, not Rip Torn. You know, it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. no longer Meryl Streep, it's Bill Murray, and, you know, he's not just Andy McDowell. You know, it's, it just becomes a lesser movie. And I, I mean, what you said just a few minutes ago, Jeff, was you wish you could have watched this a hundred times already going in here. I couldn't agree with a statement more. This is, this is a rewatchable movie that, should just kind of be on all the time mm-hmm. uh, and i mean i've recognized clips from it from you know different you know award shows or whatever but i've never i'd never seen it before uh i'm glad we finally did absolutely this is such a great movie and you and you made such a good point there about brooks is a generous guy he's not the guy who needs to have the joke in any scene he is perfectly willing to be uh generous and to let somebody else be funny and he you know he lets rip torn have some of the best jokes at his expense i love rip torn just talking about how oh you just go back to earth and you do it again uh until you can and then sometimes oh maybe you get flung out into the universe you know, <laughs> don't get a chance to go back but well, you know it's not hell we don't have hell in this universe don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> well just the constant you wouldn't understand joke uh, <laughs> it's it never gets old uh, and it's always relevant. I, I don't know. It's just, and then the ending. You know, it's pretty. You know, it's safe and makes you feel good, but it, but not in a cheap way. You know, I think the movie earned that ending. Uh, Absolutely. So, I don't know. It's, I don't know. One of the best romantic comedies I've ever seen. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and it's it, so it's. It, Technically, this, I mean, this could be a drama, it could be a heavy movie, but a guy I used to be friends with years ago, he would go, I'm like, how was the movie? He goes, oh, it's easy breezy, you know? And that's, this is just like, that's how I would describe this movie. It's easy breezy. It's like, it's talking about important things and doing it in a way that you're like really invested because you're not, there's stakes for every character but you know you <laughs> they're just fun you know they're like fun stakes and oh i have to defend my life ah oh, you'll be fine everybody's going to you know everybody's going to be fine so yeah it's it, insanely clever the i mean the movie even stops down just to let buck henry do a bit <laughs> <laughs> the bit is so good that you there's no you don't mind that at all it's a very funny bit <laughs> Uh, just so great. There's, there's just so many great things about this movie. The the uh, the ideas are so strong uh, throughout. Uh, <laughs> there is one like I guess that you would need a lot of context for uh, the Charlie McLean bit. The people don't remember. <laughs> like in, in, in at the still, time, late eighties. Yeah, if you know, you know. <laughs> but like she was all over the tabloids talking about her past lives, and people made fun of her for talking about her past lives, and she became you know the 80s 90s version of a meme of a crazy lady and uh to, sh- to see her show up and get to have kind of a last laugh on those people is very it's very satisfying 
uh, the way Brooks puts that. But you know, it, it is an easy and 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 very you know light movie in many ways. But then you also still have that Albert Brooks angstiness, that ed- that edge that he always has, where he's you know, this this sort of self loathing that he always has, uh, where he he's constantly worrying about something, and that kind of gives it. Uh, I don't want to call it a darkness, but like it, it grounds everything it, it, to not, not let it be too light. You know what I mean? Like Tom Hanks wouldn't have that. Nothing against Tom Hanks, but he wouldn't have that darkness to him, that angst. It would be too, it would be too easy for him and it would become too light in that way. Whereas with, with Brooks, there's always that edge of him possibly fucking this up just because he's so in his own head. Yeah, I, it's that's a good point. It, it's it's also the type of movie I could see Christian conservatives being pissed at <laughs> and, you know, boycotting oh, yeah, and definitely. making a big deal. I have no idea if this, that happened, uh, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. No, because there wasn't the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But last temptation of Christ, <laughs> they had it. And, well, yeah. I mean, that, I know that's a little bit too obvious, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's like you said, easy and breezy, but with you know deep subject matter and the edginess that uh, Sean said. I, I don't know. It's I can't wait to watch it again and show people. <laughs> I will not be showing it on a first date, but maybe a second or third date. <laughs> I yeah, like there's anything after a first date. I can, um, I can see showing it to my wife, and she'd be like, "So you just want to die so you can fall in love with somebody else?" And oh my uh, god! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, so you're into Meryl Streep now? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> and this is—I mean, she was Meryl Streep, but she was more of a movie star. She hadn't quite become the the best actress in the world Meryl Streep yet or she was like right around the time she was becoming the best actress in the world Meryl Streep it was a departure uh, for sure uh, at the time uh, you know because she'd, she'd done uh, a lot of really heavy stuff prior to that um, but she'd yeah, also she done like Death Becomes Her and some yeah, of those yeah. other she had that fun run in the 80s after all the deep <laughs> stuff postcards from the edge right Anyway, I interrupted somebody. Sorry. You're fine. I think we're wrapped up. All right. 1993. We had a bunch of feel-good movies. Carlito's Way, My Life, The (laughs) Piano, (laughs) and then The Three Musketeers. Uh, What did you guys watch or did you not do one this week? We didn't want to watch any of those, so I thought, you know, we... We've not seen any of the movies that are going to go on to be Oscar nominated uh, in the following year, so we thought, "What the heck? Let's let's get one of the Oscar movies out of the way." So I thought, you know what? Let's watch the remains of the day uh, with uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson. It's uh, you know, Merchant Island. Lighthearted rom. Sorry, a lighthearted rom. Watch that! It'll be, it's an Oscar nominee. It's going to be great. Uh, you know, I, I grew up thinking that Merchant Ivory was you know, like the ultimate in homework movies, and now I'm an adult. I'm mature now. I, I'm going to understand Merchant Ivory now. 
that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is boring as fuck. It's, it's, it's insanely dull. I don't know what anybody sees in this. Honestly, I really don't. I don't know why the audience, like it, it's one of those movies where like the, the opulence of it and the, the put togetherness of it, I guess is like, it reminds me of that thing I always say about best actor. Like sometimes it's not the best acting. It's just the most acting. And I think what Merch and I were doing are just the most production design and the most, you know, <laughs> garish, outlandish production design and costuming and seriousness. Uh, it's, they're doing the most and it's very obvious. And, you know, you can say that you love a Merch and Ivory movie and, and that becomes your identity. I'm smart because I love Merchant Ivory movies. And I think I think there might be just more of a lifestyle to <laughs> to liking Remains of the Day and Howard's End than there is anything actually good about them. I think it's a I think it's a personality more than it is a movie. It's a personality that you can adopt for yourself and and say I'm a smart person. <laughs> Yeah, that same that smart person right. is probably out there shitting on the Marvels. It's <laughs> <laughs> the perfect bookend of the podcast. Comic book movies. I only watch Merchant Ivory movies. <laughs> exactly. I th- I think this is like the this is like the early nineties version of of today's hipsters. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I only watch Albert Brook movies. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, next week we have our 600th episode. We're going to talk about uh, the next goal wins. 600 movies. Yeah, 600 movies. Uh, <laughs> I was telling Sean before you jumped on, it's kind of the perfect episode. We have a director we all like, a director we like to talk about, positive or negative, and Thanksgiving's Eli Roth, and then uh, a franchise we don't all hate, or we all kind of like a little bit. Uh, and then Josh is going to join us. Yay. Uh, I'm just going to tell you right now, I just yesterday finished the book for Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that like most of the Hunger Games movies, that it's be- that the movie is better than the book. So that's my, my preview is that, God, that book was fucking boring. Um, but yeah, but lots of people with the, with the, with anus in their name in the movie, though. Guys, I gotta jump off. Alright. I'm sorry. Bye. Bye. Hope everything's okay. Let's talk okay. about Sean now. Uh, wanna play a flick chart while he's gone? <laughs> I can do that. I'm easy. You wanna run anything specific, or do you just wanna go with what's up there? Should we do Defending Your yeah, Life? Yeah, let's do Defending Your Life. Against the Land Before Time. I do love Land Before Time, though. Did I hit search? Yes, I did. Defending Your Life, Scream 4. (laughs) I love Scream 4, but Defending Your Life is a better movie. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of recency bias, (laughs) too. Yeah. Uh, defending your life 21 defending your life yeah defending your life the secret of the ooze defending your life yes 
Defending Your Life, Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, they're both really good movies. Um, I'm going to pick Defending Your Life, though. I'd watch, I, I want to watch that again, whereas maybe I'll watch Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, this is where recency bias is definitely going to win. Uh, yeah. I love Silver Linings Playbook, uh, but this has a rewatchability factor. Defending Your Life, Ghostbusters. Defending Your Life. I like Ghostbusters. I don't like Ghostbusters 2. I like them both just because just cause how old I was when they came out, but... No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this kind of made me dislike Bill Murray a little bit. I don't know why that was running in my head while watching these movies. I, I, I should say, dislike Bill Murray a little bit more than I... I mean, I like him. I think he's one of the funniest guys ever. Uh, I know there's things out there about him now that are kind of creepy, I guess, but I don't know how much of it's... Watching Bill Murray cheer for the Cubs, he's like, I, like I've seen him in public, like in public cheering for the Cubs, and mm-hmm. he's, he's, his passion is there, and he loves it so much, and he's having such a good time, and then you see him act, and you're like, oh, that's kind of a letdown because he's just kind of going through the motions, or he's trying to be an actor, you know but, that? Yeah, as a real actor, he's been better. But, you know, it is big-time comedies. You know, it's all about him. You know, mm-hmm. he, the Ghostbusters, I mean, he has all the best lines. Obviously, you need yeah. the other guys to hold it together. But it really is his movie because that's all he's capable yeah. of doing, at least back then. And his shtick doesn't change all that much, really. Like, if you watch Scrooged, it's like Groundhog Day at Christmas. You know, it's that, it's that shtick that he does that doesn't really do it for me right i mean uh, scrooge i love uh because it's not as repetitive as groundhog day uh but at the same time you know everything that could be important in that movie is pushed to the background to focus on bill murray uh i don't know i just i've always liked albert brooks and to really actually spend a little time digging into him this weekend was kind of Albert Brooks in Scrooge would be probably my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. <laughs> Just think how great that movie would be. And I imagine that he has amazing chemistry with Karen Allen if they ever did it. Yeah. I mean, Bobcat, Goldthwait would have been better. I mean, the whole thing would have just been... It, it, it would have been more of an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. With, you know, the same style of comedy that Bill Murray has, but he, I don't know, just the way he does it, I think... It wouldn't be as popular. I don't think it becomes a yeah. blockbuster, but I do think it's a better movie. All right. Now, do you think? Go ahead. Oh, it's definitely defending your life for this one. Over twenty weeks if later, Albert Brooks had been more um, like one of the cast of um, Saturday Night Live instead of behind the scenes doing the little short films. Do you think he would have the same career as Bill Murray? I don't think he demanded the same career as Bill Murray. I think if he wanted it, he could have had whatever he wanted. But I think Albert Brooks had to follow Albert Brooks's way of doing things, which is yeah. not. And Bill Murray, the same thing. Bill Murray had to do things his way. Uh, I, I think you always hear, you never know if Bill Murray's going to show up or not. 
yeah. they both had their own way of going through you know their careers but i i don't i don't think alec brooks could have ever been you know the biggest star in the world because i don't think he demands that he it's almost like yeah. he goes out of the way he carries himself would never allow for that to happen mm-hmm. if that makes any sense I- I feel like he has the, exactly the career he wants. Yeah. Right. So. Defending your life, Dracula, 1931. Dracula. One of my favorites, though. So. I'll let you have it, because I, I like Dracula, too. <laughs> They're both classics, and I, I can't really... I mean, I literally just finished it before we hit record. Like, I had you not said 8 o'clock... <laughs> I don't see this movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, defending your life, Eastern Promises. Defending your life. Yeah, I love Eastern Promises, but that's good. Yeah. Defending your life, Kill Bill Volume Two. Ooh, I love watching Kill Bill just in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, both of them back to back. Right. I'm at. I'm going to pick Kill Bill. Yeah. I was I just, too. It's it's just one of those ones that like it's my probably the Kill Bill movies are probably my favorite Tarantino and it, a lot of it is Uma Thurman because I think that's her like Oh yeah. her the pinnacle of her career. Yeah. Well. No, I couldn't agree more. I love those movies. Defending Your Life Wally. Defending your life. Yeah, I agree. Defending your life, Donnie Darko. Oh. Uh. Um, I really, really love Donnie Darko, and a lot of it is Beth Grant, who is we should do a career retrospective on her someday. Um, I'm beginning to doubt your, your, your dedication to sparkle motion. Uh, <laughs> defending your life though. I recency bias. I agree. <laughs> Wait a minute. We just did this one. All right. So def- <laughs> we had to do kill bill again and it wasn't, it was the same volume and everything. Uh, 29, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right there behind Kill Bill Heat. What the hell is that up there for that high? I love Heat, but yeah. not not top 50. <laughs> it's it's a yeah. throwaway action movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm happy with that, where it's at. Yeah. No, this is a fun little surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll I'll definitely watch that again. Um, I'm actually looking. I did not buy it. I just rented it. But I'll probably find the Blu-ray or something somewhere. Yeah. Instead of renting it again all the time. Or have my friend get it on his Plex. I don't know. Do you have Max? No, I don't. Oh. I I canceled all almost all my streaming services just because I can't take another price hike. Right. Like Hulu... Hulu is like, oh, yeah, we're going to hike it again. We just hiked it last year. We're going to do two more dollars. And I'm like, I, I can't. 
I literally can't. Well, that's the thing is, so. you know, we got rid of cable and dish and all that stuff. And now well, there's so many streaming services. By the time you add them all up, it's even yeah. more than you're paying for. Well, and plus, if stuff is not available on any streaming service, then you, you got to pay for it. it. Yeah. And, you know, like, okay, I don't have Max, but I want to watch Defending Your Life. I'm going to pay three nineteen on Prime, although I paid two ninety nine on um, Vudu. But it's like, okay, if, you know, I, I resubscribe to Shudder because there's so many good movies that I want to see that are on there. And it's only six bucks a month. Whereas, you know, if I'm paying 20 bucks for Hulu and 20 bucks for Netflix and, you know, everybody's raising their prices again. And I'm just like, no, I'm going to see if I can figure out a better way to watch these. And that's because most people aren't disconnecting. They don't even know what they're paying. They're just going through and they're not paying attention to it. And they're making their millions. Yeah. Or billions, I guess, at this point. All right. Anything else before we wrap it up? Um, no. If you're if you're bored this weekend, come to Rosemont. I'll have a another pass to get into Days of the Dead. So sounds awesome. You get to be you can meet Chop Top Mosley, Bill Mosley from every horror movie in the nineties, um, and your Rob Zombie movies. Yeah, I met him once um, in a Metallica concert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited because uh, some of the cast of Friday the 13th Part 3 are going to be there. Uh, the guy who played the killer in Slumber Party Massacre is there. So I'm doing... I'm Actually, when we're done with this, I'm going to go finish my that so I can get it printed in time to take it on Friday. Oh, that's um, awesome. So, yeah. Should be fun. Excellent. All right. I will talk to you later. Sounds good. Have a good night. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.